Morning, church family. Uh, we're finishing up our series out of the book of Ruth. And church, hasn't the book of Ruth become a fast friend to us? I and mean, we know the characters, we know their struggles, and how God is showing us his providential love and care for us through the book of Ruth. And after this week, for the next two weeks, Pastor Jeremy will be continuing on with a series out of 1 Peter. And after Easter Sunday, we'll start a series in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be able to stare at the face of Jesus Christ for, a few, for several weeks and months as we go through the Gospel of Mark. Ruth is about providence, about God's providence, and about God's providential care for not only Naomi and Ruth, but for his people of Israel. And God has written his story, and in this story of Ruth, immense suffering is woven into this story. We know this. Just out of chapter 1, there's incredible suffering through the death of husbands, through the death of sons, through, through famine, immense suffering. And providence says that God is in control of all things. He authored everything. We know this. Unapologetically, God has authored every atom to serve its purpose. He's authored every bird that falls out of the sky and falls to the ground. He's authored every event in human history, including the joys of life and also the sufferings of life. From eternity past, he's authored it all. And he's sovereign. Providence includes the good, the bad, and even the uglies of life. We know this. So I just want to pose a question to our church that may help guide us through our sermon, our final sermon out of the book of Ruth. Why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen? And more specifically, let's get even more specific about this question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Because perhaps in our own sense of justice, we can reconcile when bad things happen to bad people. Okay, I get why that happened, you may think. And, but it may be hard to reconcile when bad things happen to good people. So we're going to turn to the book of Ruth, chapter 4 today. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Ruth that's in the Old Testament. Right after the book of Judges. To address this question, why do bad things happen to good people? A little bit of context as you're turning there. God ordained a famine in Israel and Elimelech takes his family to Moab to have a life, to perhaps have a better life in Moab. His two sons, their two sons, Naomi and Elimelech's two sons, take on Moabite wives, Orpah and Ruth. Soon, Naomi loses her husband and her two sons. And the, wid the widowed Naomi and widowed Ruth decide to return back to Bethlehem. They, the two of them decide to return and Ruth, the Moabitess, happens to, come, happens to come across Boaz's field, where Boaz shows unusual kindness to her. And Naomi identifies to Ruth, by the way, this is a close relative. He's a kinsman redeemer who could help us out of our difficult situation. So they, therefore, Naomi comes up with a risky plan, as we read last week and preached last week, to position Ruth to marry Boaz. Boaz is willing and he seems to be happy to do so. However, 
There's one issue to resolve. There's a closer relative who has the right of redeeming Naomi and Ruth before he does. And this is where we pick up the story of Ruth in our final chapter here at Ruth chapter 4. I'll be reading out of the NASB version, Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. He took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here, before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if, you, if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was a custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of the land. To confirm any matter, a man removed his sandal and gave it to another. And this was a matter of attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And he removed the sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and to all the people, you are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. All the people who were in the court and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. And may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor woman gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron. And to Hezron was born Ram. And to Ram, Aminadab. And to Aminadab was born Nashon, and to Nashon, Solomon, and to Solomon was born Boaz, and to Boaz, Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse, David. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. Thank you for the story of Ruth, 
As we conclude this series, Lord, thank you for blessing the messages, Lord. I know that it has spoken to our hearts about who you are and how your providential care works. Help us to understand you more by understanding providence more through the preaching of your word so that we will love you more and trust in you more. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. To answer our question, why do bad things happen to good people, we're going to look at providence with three different views. I'll just give it to you ahead of time. Three different views. The immediate view, the generational view, and the eternal view. The immediate view, generational view, and eternal view. Okay, so let's begin with, our, with scene number one. The immediate view of providence. The immediate view of providence. What is the immediate view of providence? A word picture, perhaps, is a worm's eye view of providence. Worm's eye view, what I mean by that? What can be seen and felt right in front of you? What's right there? Like a worm burrowing its way through the dirt. What can you feel and see right now in the immediate? And Boaz in an immediate crisis to attend to. He wants to marry Ruth. Either by law and combination of tradition, there's somebody else in line. He's second place here. So he needs to resolve that. So verse 1 says this, Now... Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. The gate is very important. In ancient Israel, the gate was the center of life. This is where the elders of the cities hung out. And when important issues came up, the elders were called and assembled so that they could tend to matters such as rendering judgments on certain cases, legal cases. The elders would even help formalize business transactions. That's the gate. It's a very important uh, location. And it says, behold, uh, that's, uh, that's kind of like, it. listen up. Here's providence happening again by the author. is alerting us. Behold, the close relative of the kinsman redeemer of Boaz, spoke, who Boaz spoke of, was passing by. So it happened, just happened in that moment where Boaz shows up at the gate, that this kinsman redeemer shows up. Providence. And Boaz says, hey, sit down. Sit down here. Turn aside, friend. And we got something to talk about. This word friend is an interesting word in the Hebrew. Peloni almoni. That's the Hebrew. Peloni almoni. Just like it sounds, it's kind of an idiom. Okay, it, it, To translate it literally, sit down, so-and-so. Mr. So-and-so, just sit down. Have a seat, Mr. So-and-so. The author doesn't even give this... Mr. So-and-so, a name. That's as if Boaz would have said, hey, Mr. No-Name Kinsman Redeemer, have a seat. Right? And this is significant because names are very important in Ruth. Names are very important in Ruth. I mean, after all, it's about preserving the name of Elimelech's family. This is a big deal. So the, subtly, but not so subtly, the author is screaming about this potential kinsman redeemer. For example, how are names important? Elimelech means my God is king. Naomi means pleasant one. Kilion and Mahalon means sick and pining. Orpah and Ruth could mean stubborn and friendship. Boaz, his name might mean in him is strength and in, in God is strength. The author does not dignify Mr. No-Name Redeemer with a name. And there's a reason why. 
And so Boaz has a proposition for him. Sit down, Mr. No-Name Kinsman Redeemer. We have an issue to resolve. And just like we talked about, the elders are assembled to basically, just like a court case, a legal proceeding of today, they would have to hear things out. And this also speaks to the influence of Boaz, doesn't it? Where he's able to call, he call 10 elders to show up to have a formal quorum, perhaps, and to hear a case. And he had some juice. He had some influence in Bethlehem. And where the, the issues will be raised, the details will be discussed, and the decision will be made in the court of witnesses. Where this is going to be final, whatever is decided. This is a significant moment. So Boaz says to Mr. No-Name Redeemer, we need a kinsman to step up. There's an issue that has happened. There's an emergency. We need to redeem Elimelech's land. You see, Mr. No-Name Redeemer, Naomi has come back and she needs help. She's a widow. She needs help. She needs someone to support her. She needs help. You need to step up. And from my understanding, you're first in line, Mr. No-Name Redeemer. Will you acquire the land? So, so Boaz is presenting and proposing this case in front of the elders, in front of all the people as witness to see if this man will actually do it. Let all of us know, Mr. No-Name Redeemer, what you intend to do. Now that you're, everyone's clear that you know of the situation, what are you going to do about it? Because I'm next in line, and if you don't redeem Elimelech's land, I'll do it. Well, Mr. No-Name Redeemer says, I'll do it. I'll redeem it. And then verse 5, Boaz responds, well, there's still one other detail to discuss before you agree to finally do this. You see, Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of uh, Malone, must also be acquired. Not only are you supposed to take care of the land and Naomi, you got to take care of Ruth too. Not only that, you need to raise up a family for Elimelech through Ruth. Are you still willing to do this, Mr. No-Name Redeemer? Well, Mr. No-Name Redeemer must have been reeling at this point and doing some mental math and some mental gymnastics and said, well, the land would have been super useful because I could have brought in a double harvest. That's, that would have been really profitable. And, I, and if, if it was just Naomi, I could have supported Naomi and then had plenty left over. And since Naomi is past child-rearing age, once she passed away, the land would have been in our family forever. That would have been a good deal. However, Boaz changed the whole thing when he mentioned Ruth. Huh. Ruth is still young enough to have children. And when their children are old enough, I would need to give the land back to Elimelech's family. It's not worth it. I'm not going to be working and sweating to raise up somebody else's name when I got plenty of my own issues to worry about. I got to raise up my own name. So, Mr. No Name Redeemer makes a business decision, which brings us to verse 6 of chapter 4. So the kinsman redeemer, or the Goel, said, I cannot, I cannot redeem it for myself. Why? Because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. 
Boaz, redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. So Mr. No-Name Redeemer takes off his sandal, as was the custom of the day, and hands Boaz the right to redeem Elamelech's land. You could do it. I just can't do it. You could do it, though. Well, this is what Boaz says in verse 9 here. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are my witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belongs to Elimelech and all that belongs to Kilion and Mahalon. I'll take care of the land. I'll support Naomi through that land. You have my word before all the witnesses here today. Verse 10, moreover, or also, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Mahalon, to be my wife. And this gives you the heart of Boaz here now. This gives you the heart of Boaz in this next statement here. In order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance, so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from, the, from his brothers or from the court or the gate of, this, of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. This was Boaz's heart to raise up the name of Elimelech and Mahalon. He was thinking about somebody else. He wasn't thinking about this is going to be a profitable thing for him. I have to do this as a family member. I have to do this as a fellow Israelite to take care of my brother's name. Otherwise, he'd be forgotten forever. This, is the, this shows you the character and the excellence of Boaz. The family line being preserved was was important to him. And what, how did the people respond? I, I believe the people could see Boaz's excellence. He already had a fine reputation, but now he's showing himself in a whole different level now. In verse 11, all the people who were with, within the gate or the court and the elders said, we are witnesses. May Yahweh, may the Lord make the woman who is coming to your home like Rachel and Leah, both, both of whom built the house of Israel. They blessed, not only they blessed Yahweh, they also blessed Ruth, the Moabites, and saying, may Ruth be like Rachel and Leah. That was a significant statement because Rachel and Leah were considered the mothers of the 12 tribes of Israel. They're on the Mount Rushmore of Israel. The women of Israel, they would have been up there. And not only that, they're saying, may Ruth, the foreigner, the Moabites, be like them. This is significant. This was a significant prayer blessing over Ruth. In other words, Ruth, you're one of us. Not only just one of us, you're up there with one of us. This is a significant prayer blessing. And then they continue on with, with blessing Boaz. And may you, talking about Boaz, achieve wealth or, or hail or excellence Achieve excellence in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Boaz, you are a man of excellence. May you continue your excellence in Bethlehem. May your name become famous in Bethlehem. Name, name, identity. And then they go on to bless the couple. Verse 12, moreover, may your house be like the house of the house of, that Boaz and Ruth will make, like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring which the Lord Yahweh will give you by this young woman. Genesis 38 talks about a, 
perhaps one of the most prominent examples, Leverite Union, how a redeemer redeems a, a widow. Judah redeemed uh, Tamar, and through that union, Perez was born. And Perez was a key ancestor in Bethlehem. So not only that, this is, may your children be significant in Bethlehem. So they blessed Ruth, they blessed Boaz, and they blessed their household. So the people were all for this. They go, wow, which is amazing. Which is amazing that they would bless this couple like this. You see, there are only two economies in the world. I I think that the people of Bethlehem recognize this. There are only two economies economies, economies in the world. Excuse me. The economy of the world, which says focus on yourself. Me, myself, and I. Take care of yourself. An economy of the kingdom of God, which means focus on what God's interests and the interests of others. I think the people of Bethlehem could recognize this in Boaz. You see, church family, where you invest is where your heart is. How you invest reveals where your heart is. Mr. No Name Redeemer, world economy. This is going to hurt his inheritance. He says it's going to hurt my inheritance. Preserving, he was interested in preserving his own name. And quite frankly, when he handed over his dusty leather sandal, taken off his foot, and he handed it over to Boaz, in essence, he handed over his legacy and his name. You see, church family, when you are so focused on preserving yourself and your own name, in time you forfeit it. This is what happened. That's why Mr. No-Name Redeemer doesn't have a name. That's why the author doesn't even dignify him with a name to be, to be uh, talked about for eternity in the Word of God. This is where Mr. No-Name Redeemer would just fade off into obscurity after this moment. This was his big moment in time. Gone. He can't, he, he doesn't, he's not even acknowledged as being who he is. Boaz had a kingdom economy. He wanted to serve Yahweh. He knew Yahweh's heart was to take care of widows. And he also has focused on serving Elimelech's name and continue on that tradition, his name throughout generations. He was focused on preserving another man's name. And he knew it would cost him. He knew it would be expensive. This is not something you just do and all of a sudden it's not a, it doesn't cost him. It's going to cost him. So people like Boaz see life differently. Which takes us to scene number two. People like Boaz see the generational view of providence. Scene number two, the generational view of providence, verses 13 to 17. The word picture here is like having a bird's eye view of life. Panning back, getting out of the ground and getting up air and seeing more. Okay, having a bird's eye view of life. Panning back from the worm's eye view. And you see life beyond the immediate. Verse 13, what did Boaz do? So Boaz, true to his word, took Ruth, and she became his wife. Praise God. And he went into her like any husband and wife would do, and the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. Boaz marries Ruth. But this is a very significant statement here. And Yahweh, the Lord, enabled her to conceive. This is only the second time Yahweh or the Lord makes a 
personal appearance within the story of Ruth. The first time was back in uh, Ruth chapter 1, verse 6, where Yahweh visited his people and the famine was lifted. So Yahweh will enter, enter the story at times. Ended the famine in the land. Right here, now, Yahweh would open up Ruth's womb. Significant. Keep in mind now, Ruth was married to Mahalon for maybe up to 10 years. No children. And in that day, perhaps different from today, you didn't wait to have children. You started having children immediately. Right? This is not let me get my career get in order first. This is you had children immediately. And just like Rachel and Leah that, that were mentioned about earlier in the first scene, Genesis 29 and Genesis 30 says God or Yahweh opened their wombs. Minimally, Rachel was barren and God opened up her womb. And so just like Yahweh visited his people and ended the famine of food in Israel, Yahweh also visited Ruth and ended the famine of her womb. This is a miracle. And from time to time, providence will have it where God will sprinkle in a miracle to make sure his story is going the way he needs it to. God will have his way. And this is, a, this is an example of a miracle. And what a turning event for Ruth. Think about it. Ruth was a destitute woman, a widow. Now she's married to Boaz, a man of excellence, perhaps the man that has the most amount of respect in Bethlehem. She was a foreigner, Ruth. And now she's family. Now that she's considered and mentioned with the same breath of Rachel and Leah. Because you're one of us, Ruth. Ruth was childless. Now she's a mother. Amazing. Amazing. We won't hear from Ruth anymore. Now the focus shifts to Naomi. In verse 14, it says this, Then the w- women said to Naomi, perhaps these are the women that g- greeted her in chapter 1, and said, is that Naomi? Is that really her? Perhaps it's that same group of women. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord Yahweh, who has not left you without a Redeemer today. Right? They blessed the Lord for Naomi's grandson. They bless the Lord. They recognize the Lord's grace in it all and say, blessed be the Lord, Yahweh, who has given you a grandson. And they pray for the grandson. And may his name, this is the grandson's name, become famous in Israel, beyond Bethlehem. Not just, the prayer for Boaz was that his name would be great in Bethlehem. Now the women are praying that this grandchild, his name would be great in Israel. Much greater influence. Verse 15, may he also be to you a restorer of life. Meaning, will this, will, will they pray that this grandson will restore or return Naomi back to her original condition? Her name was meant pleasant, but remember when she came into the village or back to Bethlehem, don't call me pleasant, call me Mara, call me bitter. In other words, may this grandson help restore you, Naomi, back to your original disposition of being pleasant again. And the sustainer of your old age, may this grandson take care of you, provide for you as you get older, Naomi. And look, they bless 
Ruth, and for your daughter-in-law, this is such a beautiful statement. It's going to make more sense in a, in a few moments. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, Ruth, who clearly loves you with chesed, covenant love, and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him, has given birth to him. Well, look at this scene that happens after that, verse 16 and 17. Then, 16 and 17. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. Verse 17. The neighborhood women gave him a name saying, His son has been born to Naomi, so they named him Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. What happened here in verse 16 is so tender. Naomi, in essence, becomes Obed's nanny. Just like any grandmother would do today, she basically watched him, took care of him. I could imagine him feeding him, imagine him changing his diapers, rocking him to sleep, holding him, talking to him. This is what grandmothers do. This is what grandmothers do. Tender moments as she just held on to Obed on her lap, just grandson and grandma together. And I could imagine this scene here out of verse 16. As little Obed sat on her lap, I could imagine her just holding on to him as he got bigger and bigger over the years. And she may even sing to him. Perhaps songs of Yahweh's hesed love or great love for his people. And as Naomi would hold Obed, I'm sure she, he, she would have looked into his brown eyes and be reminded of God's love for her. Right? And as she would look into his brown, Israeli, Moabite eyes, her mind would have been flooded with so many memories. So many memories that led up to this point for her would not have. Her thoughts perhaps will recount that the famine was so horrible. There was nothing to eat. We even tried to sell the land and no one wanted to buy our land. No one wanted to buy our land. So Lemelech had a plan to go to Moab, so we left we left our family, our friends, even against the advice of family and friends not to leave, we left. I remember Lemelech was saying it was only supposed to be for a, few, for a season, short season. But we were there for 10 years. And then my Lemelech during those times was taken away. And I had to bury him. After Kilian Malone married the girls, me and the girls had to bury my boys next to their father. Could have just imagine her just talking to herself. I felt like I had nothing in Moab. I was so broken. Where are you, God? Where are you, God? I realized I have nothing, there's nothing for me in Moab, so I decided to move back to 
Bethlehem, come back home. And I begged the girls. I was so broken. I begged the girls to stay, to stay with their people, to stay with their gods, to stay with their ways, and to return to Moab. I wonder what happened to Orpah. Did she remarry? Did she find a husband? I hope she's doing well. Staring into Obed's eyes. She might have been thinking, now I see Yahweh. You've been with me the entire time. My Ruth remained with me. God was taking care of me through Ruth. Ruth has kept her vow to me when she said, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. She is better than seven sons. Who else would do such a thing? See, although the pain will never leave Naomi totally, what, are, what precious moments that must have been for Naomi as she held Obed in her lap. What a redemptive moment for her of healing and, 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 and reminder how Yahweh has been with her the whole time. Undoubtedly, she felt God's love as she held Obed. So how can you and I have a generational view of providence? How's that possible? Last week, we talked about how prayer life could help us connect the dots as we recognize answered prayers or anything closely, remotely to these, the things that we're praying about. Looking backwards, Looking backwards to see how God has used the past to shape your today is critical. So when we look backwards, we're able to see what God has done to shape us to where we're at today. Just like Naomi would have traced all these things, the hard things of life and the joys of life, to see, wow, God, you've been with me this whole time. How has God shaped your present through the past? Can you trace the people that God has placed in your life? Your parents, your grandparents, aunts, uncles, good parents, bad parents. God uses it all. Friends, mentors, just chance meetings perhaps. A word of encouragement from somebody at the park that when you needed it in the, in the darkest moments of your life. What opportunities that God opened up to you? Opportunities to be educated, opportunities for work. What has he done for us? The circumstances, the climate of things, the joys, even the trials. How have those things shaped us to where we're at today? That's a way to have a generational view of providence. I was thinking to myself, you know, we had a very emotional memorial last Saturday for one of our dear church members, Don Suguchi, and as I read his family history, and it was, as, as I was told that Saturday, there's a lot of providence in that man's life. Funerals are beautiful because you're able to see backwards everything that has taken place. Don was born, that's providential, of course. And he was born to immigrant parents who happened to move to Salinas, Northern California. And then the war breaks out, and then 
they are transported to, to camps in Arizona, which no one would have chosen, but they, they were there. That's Providence. And after that, instead of going back to the West Coast where things were a little bit more racially difficult, they went to the Midwest, to Chicago, where Uncle Don was able to hear a, a fired-up preacher where he went, went into the church and got introduced to God. And from there, they finally moved back to East L.A., to, to the West Coast. And when there was a guy who had an affection, affinity to Japanese people and who started kind of a basketball ministry, but also preached the gospel. This is where Don will come to faith, eventually go to East L.A. College and, and, and meet his wife, Etz, and then they would have three children, and the Lord would continue to use them. Providence. Every one of those things are providential moments in Don's life. We need to do the same thing. Look backwards on how this has worked out in our lives. Now to Naomi's grandson, verse 17. The neighbor, neighbor women gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. Obed is perhaps short for Obadiah, which, is, which means servant of Yahweh. So Obed means servant. Obed became the father of Jesse. Jesse became the father of David. Why is Obed's name famous not only in Bethlehem, but in Israel? The first legitimate king of Israel is King David. Obed will be the great, or but the grandfather of King David. This is why Obed's name will be great in all of Israel. Even today, they have the star David in the, in, in the flag of Israel. How did this all work out? Well, this is really the punchline of the whole story. The whole reason why Ruth was written is this to recount the providential movement of God to get us to Israel's first king, King David. This is the whole point of the book, of the, of the book of Ruth. How did God preserve the line of King David during the time of judges? And he would use a Moabite woman to get it done. She was the link of the chain, in that, the link in the chain to get us to David. You see, Having a generational view is important to help us understand as much as we can in this side of eternity. But the generational view of providence is still limited. It's limited still. Naomi had knowledge of the past. She had knowledge of the future, of present and a little bit of the future. Right? She knew Obed. Maybe she, she lived to know Jesse. But she certainly didn't know David. She would have been too old. Naomi did not know that she would be the great, great, great grandmother of King David. She didn't know that. So the generational view of providence is not enough. So to understand providence even more, we must pan out even further to find out more about what we can't see. So we can't stop there at the generational view. So scene three is the eternal view of providence. We're panning out even more. And in this view, this is where God has the view. Only God has this view where he sees everything at once. Everything at once. And he's already authored the story before the foundations of the world. And this is why Ruth ends with a genealogy. You may be wondering, why are all these names at the end? Isn't that anticlimactic? No. This is, this is the crescendo of it all. 
Verse 18 says, As now these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron born Ram, and to Ram Aminadab, and to Aminadab was born Nashon, and Nashon Salmon, and to Solomon was born Boaz, and to Boaz Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse David. It all ends with King David as again. It all it ends right back at King David. But we can't stop right there. There's more than King David. The point of the Bible, the point of our faith is not about worshiping King David. Let's turn to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. This is a this is a familiar passage, oftentimes read during Christmas time. So you know if you don't turn there, you'll perhaps you'll recognize what I'm about to read, Micah 5 2. Micah 5 2. Micah 5 2, prophecy. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, same city, too little to be among the clans of Judah, insignificant city in the world's eyes. From you, Bethlehem, one with a capital O, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. What type of ruler? Is this talking about King David? Well, I think there's more. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. This king is an eternal king. King David is not an eternal king. Who's he talking about? Who's going to come out of David? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 9. Go to your left a few books here. Isaiah chapter 9. Another familiar Advent reading here. Isaiah 9. Chapter 9 verse 6. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. This is David. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. It's not David. Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. This will be a kingdom that will last forever. On the throne of David and over his kingdom. Through the throne of David. Through the line of David. To establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore. This is a forever kingdom, a forever king. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. How does this get done? The zeal of the Lord of hosts, Yahweh, will accomplish this. What is the zeal of the Lord of hosts? The providential hand of God. God will get it done providentially. Let's turn to Matthew 1. Final here, Matthew 1. Matthew 1, first book of the New Testament, is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Matthew 1, 3 through 6, basically recounts the same genealogy from Perez to David that Ruth has. So verse, verse 3 through 6 is the same genealogy from Ruth. So this goes on through verse 16, generation after generation after generation after generation. Let's read verse 17 together. This kind of sums it all up. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. Okay, Ruth stops at David. From David to the deportation to Babylon when the Israelites were exiled, 14 generations. And from deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, to the Christ, to the Redeemer, 14 generations. This is 28 generations after King David. The Messiah will come. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords will show up on earth. Verse 18 of Matthew says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. You see, Naomi 
Nor Ruth could ever see this on this side of eternity. That's 28 generations. Only God had this view. This is the eternal view of providence. To see the Redeemer King come through Ruth's family, Naomi's line, how could anyone even begin to think like that? Only God has this view of providence. Although we can not fully understand this view, we could trust the God who does. So going back to our to conclude, why do bad things happen to good people? It depends on the view. It depends on the view. Naomi losing Elimelech, Kilion, and Mahalon. Any of us who are married, any of us have children, what could be more devastating than this? In the immediate view, it was all tragic. In that moment, what good could come out of this? We will understand that feeling. From a generational view, when we back up a little bit, when Naomi's able to take some more time and to see what happens, although the pain is still there, and it, perhaps it would be there to the day she died, she, get, she could begin to see God's grace in her life. How these things kind of added up to where she needed where she was at at that point. And then we back up even more infinitely to the eternal view. She's saying right now, it all makes sense now. I get it now. The reason to go back to Moab was to go get Ruth. (laughs) It wasn't about me. She was the link to get us to Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer. It all makes sense now. So why do bad things happen to good people? Let's take another example here. Acts 2.23 says that Jesus Christ was predestined, predetermined by God to be delivered to godless men and to be killed on the cross. You see, the divine author himself scripted himself into his story. He wrote himself in. With his, with his pen, he wrote in his part, portion where 2,000 years ago he would enter into human history. And 2,000 years ago he would put on human skin and live the righteous life, live the perfect life. He alone could say he's a good person. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The only good person scripted his own death on the cross, on the wretched cross, He took on eternal punishment. He scripted his own death and punishment to redeem you and me from sin. And he died and was buried. Why do bad things happen to good people? Jesus Christ was the only good person. And in the immediate view, if we're there, if we're part of the the original disciples, we would think this is the worst possible scenario. How could Jesus die? How could Jesus leave us right now? That was the worst possible scenario. But the internal view, this is the greatest thing that ever took place in the history of this planet. It all makes sense now. The Redeemer, Jesus Christ, rose from the grave. He ascended back to heaven to take his throne where he's sitting right now, and he's returning again as a king of kings, the Lord of lords. 
See, on this side of eternity, we will not fully understand the why. I can't give you a specific why a certain difficulty has happened in any of our lives. We only get a partial view, a microscopic view of, of, of providence. However, we could rest in the truths of Scripture. We could rest in the truths of Scripture. And as Isaiah 55, 9, 8 and 9 was read earlier by Brother Paul, what does the Lord say? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, Yahweh. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is why, even though we don't, we may not fully understand Romans eight twenty eight, the new te- signature text on providence in the New Testament, which which basically, in essence, says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. All things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, He works it all together for good, for everybody. No, to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. The only issue is this. Do you love God? That's the only issue. And if you don't, Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus Christ is the king. Repent and give your life to the king. Give your life to the king. As was read earlier, come to me, all who are weary. Come to me who are heavy laden. I will give you rest for your souls. If you have given your life to Christ, your name is written in the book of life. The divine author has wrote your name in permanent ink. Your name in the book of life. So you know how this is going to end up for you and me. But if you haven't, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Church, don't we have a great God? Providence is impossible to understand fully. He's just like our God. We can't fully understand our God, but God gives us enough truth to trust in him and to know him better. Amen? What a great God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Ruth. Thank you for penning these truths in Ruth for us to study, to know you more. Thank you for providence. Thank you that we could trust you. You're sovereign over everything. Lord, help us to trace backwards and to see where you have been moving providentially in our lives. Help us to recognize these things more, the joys and the trials and the opportunities, the people that you've brought into our lives so that we have more confidence in you, so that we know that you are active in our lives. Jesus, you are the Redeemer King. It was the power of providence that brought you here to this earth. And you use simple people, common, ordinary situations to bring it to pass. Thank you, Jesus. You are seated at the right hand of majesty on high. You are the hope of glory. Having Knowing you is the hope of glory. Lord, I pray for those who have given their lives to you, that you increase their joy, increase their confidence in you, Lord. And I pray for those of us in here today that need to give their lives to you, that they will give their lives to you. They will experience this joy, this certainty that you provide. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you will bless this time of 
singing now. May you be praised and worshipped. And may we edify one another through the singing of truth, the singing of who you are. You are the king. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.